Virtue and tranquility are the main goals in the life of a Stoic. Stoicism is a form of philosophy that was founded in Athens by Zeno of Sidium in the 3th century BC. This philosophy has two central themes, virtue and tranquility. Stoicism asserts that virtue as happiness and judgment should be based on behavior and not words. That we have no control over the things that happen to us, only ourselves and our responses. The central themes of Stoicism are virtue and tranquility. Generally, Stoicism teaches us how to be steadfast, and strong, and in control of ourselves. And more importantly, that our tendency to be more impulsive and less logical is the main cause of dissatisfaction in life. Put simply, the reason why we often feel dissatisfied about our lives, according to the Stoics, is that we lack self-control and often let our emotions dominate our intellect. Lack of self-control and impulsiveness are the root cause of discontentment. Unlike other forms of philosophy, Stoicism is a school of thought that is built for action and not endless debate. Rather than focus on complicated and intricate theories about the world, Stoicism centers on helping its followers overcome negative emotions and act only on what can be acted upon. You attain virtue by aligning your life with your values, and you attain tranquility by staying clear of negative emotions. Hence, for the Stoics, the main goal is to seek virtue by living a life that is aligned with their own set of positive values and to seek tranquility by ridding themselves of negative and destructive emotions. The more virtuous you become, the more tranquil your mind gets. Every Stoic understands that the pursuit of virtue and the pursuit of tranquility are components of a doubly virtuous circle. The pursuit of virtue results in a degree of tranquility, which in turn makes it easier for us to pursue virtue. Stoic tranquility is not apathy, neither is it laziness. Of course, the tranquility the Stoics sought is not the kind of tranquility that might be brought on by getting shot with a tranquilizer. Also, it's not about taking lots of naps and being lazy. Once you attain tranquility, you will be filled with joy and be rid of anxiety, fear, and grief. Instead, the Stoic tranquility is a state characterized by the absence of negative and destructive emotions like anger, grief, anxiety, and fear, and the presence of positive emotions, in particular, joy. Renowned leaders of Stoicism include the emperor of the Roman Empire Marcus Aurelius, the slave-turned-philosopher Epictetus, and Roman philosopher Seneca. Marcus Aurelius, the most powerful man in the world in his day, began each day by telling himself, Today I shall be meeting with interference, ingratitude, insolence, disloyalty, ill, will, and selfishness, all of them due to the offender's ignorance of what is good or evil. In the following chapters, we will discuss the various psychological techniques developed by the Stoics for attaining and maintaining tranquility. Just as wood is the medium of the carpenter and bronze is the medium of the sculptor, your life is the medium on which you practice the art of living, tilde Epictetus. Negative visualization, learn to appreciate the things you have by contemplating losing them. One of the main reasons we humans often tend to be unhappy is due to the fact that we are insatiable. We are stuck in the vicious cycle of satisfaction, after striving as hard as we can to get something we really desire, we routinely lose interest in it once we get it. Instead of feeling satisfied and happy now that we have what we so much desired, we start to feel bored, and in response to this boredom, we go on to develop new, even more ambitious desires. We end up just as dissatisfied as we were before fulfilling the desire. Hedonic adaptation, a system in which we chase material possessions, only to get them, quickly get bored by them, and then go on to chase the next item. Scientifically, this phenomenon is known as hedonic adaptation. 
To illustrate the process of hedonic adaptation, psychologists Shane Frederick and George Lowenstein examined the lives of lottery winners. Generally, winning a lottery gives people the opportunity to live the life of their dreams. However, it turns out that after an initial period of happiness, lottery winners end up about as happy as they were before winning. They start taking their new Ferrari and mansion for granted, the way they previously took their worn-out care and cramped apartment for granted. Hedonic adaptation often leads to sadness and lack of contentment. We experience hedonic adaptation in every aspect of our lives, from our careers to our marriages, which is why we are often unhappy and unsatisfied with our lives. For instance, after getting married to the man or woman of our dreams, often after a tumultuous courtship, we fall into a state of wedded bliss and live happily. However, before long we find ourselves contemplating our spouse's flaws and, shortly after that, fantasizing about starting a relationship with someone new. In order to live happily, we must learn to appreciate what we already have and not take them for granted. Therefore, in order to be able to live a happy and fulfilled life, we must break this vicious cycle of adaptation. We need to consciously want and desire everything we already have. This will prevent us from taking the things we worked so hard to get for granted, once we get them. Negative visualization is a psychological technique that helps us want the things already have. Indeed, the easiest way for us to gain happiness is to learn how to want the things we already have. And to achieve this, the Stoics recommended we use a technique known as negative visualization. Imagining you lost the things you value prevents you from taking them for granted and makes you more appreciative. In essence, negative visualization involves imagining that you've lost the things you value, that your wife has left you, your car was stolen, or you lost your job. Doing this will make you value your wife, your car, and your job more than you otherwise would. Put simply, negative visualization prevents you from taking the things you have for granted, and helps you enjoy every moment you have with them. The best way to practice the act of negative visualization is by living every day as if it were your last. The best way to practice negative visualization is by living every moment of your life as if it were your last. However, this doesn't mean you should live your life wildly and engage in all sorts of hedonistic excess. Instead, living every day like it's your last means you should periodically pause to think about the fact that you will not live forever and therefore that this day could be your last. By always reminding yourself you won't live forever, you will be able to appreciate your existence and get the best of your days. Thinking this way will make you appreciate how wonderful it is that you are alive and have the opportunity to fill this day with activity. In effect, this will make it less likely that you will squander your days. In a nutshell, by constantly practicing negative visualization, you will learn to embrace whatever life you happen to be living and to extract every bit of delight you can from it. Any thoughtful person will periodically contemplate the bad things that can happen to him, Tilda William B. Irvine. To become invincible, you have to accept that some things are out of your circle of control. To an average person, gaining contentment simply involves devising strategies by which to fulfill your desires and then implement those strategies. Unfortunately, many people that follow this path often end up being frustrated and getting their hopes crushed. To never get frustrated, always desire only the things you can be sure of getting. According to the ancient Greek philosopher Epictetus, the best strategy for getting what you want as a Stoic is to make it your goal to want only those things that are easy to obtain, and ideally to want only those things that you can be sure of getting. Hence, while most people seek to gain contentment by changing the world around them, you should gain contentment by changing yourself, by changing your desires. 
developing desires one won't be able to fulfill only results in frustration. And a Stoic's primary desire is to avoid this. As Epictetus wrote in his Discourses, if you refuse to enter contests that you are capable of losing, you will never lose a contest. So as someone who seeks tranquility and wants to live a happy life, your primary desire should be your desire to not get frustrated by developing desires you won't be able to fulfill. Get rid of any desires that can make you lose your tranquility. Any other desires you have should always conform to this primary desire, and if they don't, you should do your best to extinguish them. If you can successfully implement this strategy, you will no longer experience anxiety about whether or not you will get what you want, nor will you experience disappointment on not getting what you want. In essence, you will become invincible. The trichotomy of control, in life, there are things on which you have absolute control, things on which you have no control, and things on which you have some control. Also, in your journey towards happiness and fulfillment, you have to realize that everything you encounter in life will fall under three broad categories, things over which we have complete control. Things over which we have no control at all. Things over which we have some but not complete control. These three main categories, all together, constitute what the author calls the trichotomy of control. You have to realize that you don't have control over everything in life. Some things are just beyond your control such as whether the sun rises tomorrow, or other people's actions and behaviors. Bordering yourself about the things out of your circle of control is foolishness. It's foolish to spend your time and energy on the things that are outside your circle of control. Because you have no control at all over the things in question, any time and energy you spend will have no effect on the outcome of events and will, therefore, be wasted time and energy. The main things in your control circle, your goals and your values. Instead, it's worth focusing on things that are in your circle of control, the things over which you have complete control, like the goals you set for yourself, your values and your character. For instance, when playing a tennis match, a Stoic's goal will not be to win the match something external, over which he has only partial control, but to play to the best of his ability in the match something internal, over which he has complete control. Internalizing your goals helps you maintain your tranquility. By internalizing his goal, the Stoic will spare himself frustration or disappointment should he lose the match, and his inner tranquility will not be disrupted. Hence, by internalizing your goals you will be able to focus on the process and not the outcome of your objectives. This will not only make you perform better, but you also won't feel thwarted if you don't achieve your goal, because it wasn't totally up to you to reach it. If you want things that are not up to you, there will be times when you fail to get what you want, and when this happens, you will feel crushed, miserable, and upset. Desiring the things that are not up to you will disrupt your tranquility, even if you end up getting them because you would have experienced a lot of anxiety in the process. Some things are up to us and some are not up to us, tilde Seneca. Preserve your tranquility by adopting a fatalistic approach to life. According to the Stoics, one of the ways to preserve our tranquility is by having a fatalistic attitude towards everything that happens to us in life. Ancient Greek philosopher Epictetus wrote that we should always bear in mind that we are all merely actors in a play written by someone else, more precisely, the fates. We cannot choose our role in this play, but regardless of the role we are assigned, we must play it to the best of our ability. For instance, if we are assigned by the fates to play the role of a beggar, we should play the role well, likewise, if we are assigned to play the role of king. Having a fatalistic approach towards life is a big step towards contentment. Basically, if you want to live a good and content life, you must have a fatalistic approach towards life, except that everything in life has been predetermined by the fates. 
If you choose to reject the decrees of fate, you are putting yourself in a path of tranquility, disrupting grief, anger, and fear. Try your possible best to adapt yourself to your environment and love the people with whom you are surrounded. If what you seek is a happy life, you must learn to adapt yourself to the environment into which fate has placed you and try as much as possible to love the people with whom fate has surrounded you. You must learn to welcome whatever happens to you and persuade yourself that whatever you experience is for the best. Being fatalistic doesn't translate to being lazy and apathetic. However, having a fatalistic approach towards life doesn't mean you have to sit back apathetically get carried away by the tides of life. The ancient Stoics, for instance, didn't just sit around lackadaisically, resigned to whatever the future held in store, instead, they spent their days working to influence the outcome of future events. Be fatalistic about the past, but not about the future. Hence, what taking a fatalistic approach really means is that you have to be fatalistic about the past, but not about the future. As someone who craves tranquility, you have to be fatalistic with respect to the past, keeping firmly in mind that the past cannot be changed. Hence, what taking a fatalistic approach really means is that you have to be fatalistic about the past, but not about the future. As someone who craves tranquility, you have to be fatalistic with respect to the past, keeping firmly in mind that the past cannot be changed. The past cannot be changed, let it go and focus on the moment. It is also worth noting that being fatalistic about the past doesn't mean you should never think about it. You can sometimes think about the past to learn lessons that can help you shape the future, but you should never let the events of the past stop you from living life to the fullest today. For instance, you can think of a past failure, analyze the cause, so that you can best avoid such mistakes in the future. However, you shouldn't spend your days with a head full of, if only, thoughts, if only I had noticed this error sooner. If only I had launched this project a little earlier. Wishing your circumstances were different is a recipe for a bitter and sad life. If you go about your days wishing your circumstances were different, you will spend most of your life in a state of bitterness and dissatisfaction. Conversely, if you embrace every moment and show gratitude and appreciation for the things you already have, you will live a life of happiness and contentment. We have no control over the past, nor do we have any control over the present, if by the present we mean this very moment. Therefore, we are wasting our time if we worry about past or present events. Tilda William B. Irvine Gain self-control by periodically engaging in acts of voluntary discomfort. As we've established earlier, engaging in negative visualization, contemplating the bad things that can happen to us, is the key to living in contentment. However, instead of simply contemplating bad things happening, we also need to regularly live as if they had happened. Self-denial is one of the key psychological techniques of Stoicism. In essence, instead of merely thinking about what it would be like to lose our wealth, we should periodically practice poverty. For instance, we might underdress for cold weather or go out shoeless. Also, we might periodically let ourselves become thirsty or hungry, even though water and food are available. We might also sleep on a hard bed, even though a soft one is at hand. This practice is what the Stoics referred to as the act of voluntary discomfort, and as insane as it may seem, it has lots of benefits. Practicing self-denial hardens you against misfortunes that might befall you in the future. First of all, by practicing acts of voluntary discomfort, by choosing to be cold and hungry when you could be warm and well-fed, for instance, you harden yourself against misfortunes that might befall you in the future. As humans, if all we know is pleasure and comfort, we will likely be traumatized when we are forced to experience pain or discomfort, as we someday almost surely will. 
When you regularly practice voluntary discomfort, you won't be agitated by the thought of facing any major discomfort. Secondly, by periodically practicing voluntary discomfort, you will grow confident that you can withstand major discomforts as well. Hence, the prospect of experiencing such discomfort at some point in the future will not, at present, be a source of anxiety for you. Put simply, by putting yourself through periods of minor discomforts, you are training yourself to be courageous. In contrast, someone who has never experienced any form of discomfort before, who has never been cold or hungry, will likely dread the possibility of someday being cold and hungry. So even though he is physically comfortable at the moment, he might begin to experience mental discomfort, especially anxiety about what the future has in store for him. Periodic, conscious acts of self-denial help you better appreciate what you already have. Lastly, by periodically undergoing acts of voluntary discomfort, you will be able to better appreciate what you already have. Basically, by purposely causing yourself discomfort, you will better appreciate whatever comfort you experience. For instance, we can greatly heighten our appreciation of any food by waiting until we are hungry before we eat it and greatly intensify our appreciation of any drink by waiting until we are thirsty before we drink it. Of course, it won't be fun to ditch your warm and cozy winter jacket to go out with only a shirt on just so you can feel uncomfortably cold. It won't be a great experience to leave your car behind to ride the bus, either. And it certainly won't be fun saying no to that donut your colleague offered you just so you could practice self-denial. Voluntary discomfort breeds courage and self-control. However, by practicing voluntary discomfort over a long period, you will be able to transform yourself into someone remarkable for his courage and self-control. You will be able to do things that others are afraid to do, and you will be able to abstain from things that cannot resist doing. In effect, you will be thoroughly in control of yourself. This self-control makes it highly likely that you will attain the goals of your philosophy of life, and this in turn significantly increases your chances of living a good life. Indeed, pursuing pleasure, Seneca warns, is like pursuing a wild beast, on being captured, it can turn on us and tear us to pieces, Tilda William B. Irvine. Regular meditation helps you keep your goal in mind and reflect on your progress as a Stoic. As you continue your journey in Stoicism, it is essential that you periodically meditate on events of daily living, how you responded to these events, and how you should have responded to them in accordance with Stoic principles. Stoic bedtime meditation requires an active mind. Of course, the type of meditation we are talking about here is nothing like that of, say, a Zen Buddhist. The Stoic form of meditation is known as bedtime meditation. And while a Zen Buddhist might sit for hours during meditations with his mind as empty as he can make it, a Stoic's mind will be very active during a bedtime meditation. Meditation, for a Stoic, means deep thought and reflection. So as a Stoic, the period of meditation is a time for you to think and have a deep reflection on the events of the day. Right before you go to bed, you have to ask yourself, did anything disrupt my tranquility? Did I experience anger? Envy? Lust? Why did the day's events upset me? Is there something I could have done to avoid getting upset? You can also use your meditation time to assess how well you're practicing the Stoic psychological techniques. Apart from reflecting on the day's events, you can devote a section of your meditations to going through a sort of mental checklist. Here, you'll ask yourself a series of questions to see if you're really practicing the psychological techniques recommended by the Stoics for living a happy and fulfilled life. For instance, you can ask yourself, do I periodically engage in negative visualization? Do I take time to distinguish between those things over which I have complete control and those things over which I have no control at all? 
Am I careful to internalize my goals? Have I abstained from dwelling on the past and instead focused my attention on the future? Have I consciously practiced acts of voluntary discomfort? Something else you can do during your Stoic meditations is judge your progress as a Stoic. The main indicator by which you can measure this progress is the way you relate with other people. According to the Stoic philosopher Epictetus, as you become a fervent disciple of Stoicism, you will discover that your relations with other people have changed. As Stoicism gets hold of you, you will find yourself experiencing fewer negative emotions and enjoying things as they are. You will discover that your feelings aren't hurt when people tell you that you know nothing or that you are a mindless fool about things external to you. You'll shrug off their insults and slights. You will also shrug off any praise they might direct your way. Indeed, Epictetus believes the admiration of other people is a negative gauge of our progress as Stoics. If people think you amount to something, distrust yourself. Indeed, Epictetus believes the admiration of other people is a negative gauge of our progress as Stoics. If people think you amount to something, distrust yourself. However, the most important sign that you are making progress as a Stoic is a change in your emotional life. You will, for instance, find yourself experiencing fewer negative emotions. You will also discover that you are spending less time than you used to wishing things could be different and more time enjoying things as they are. In essence, you will discover that you are experiencing a degree of tranquility that your life previously lacked. For the ultimate proof that we have made progress as Stoics, though, we will have to wait until we are faced with death. It is only then, says Seneca, that we will know whether our Stoicism has been genuine. Tilda William B. Irvine. Conclusion Having a Stoic mindset is the key to living a happy and fulfilled life. And fortunately, practicing this philosophy of life doesn't take much effort. In fact, practicing Stoicism takes far less effort than the effort one is likely to waste in the absence of a philosophy of life. If you are new to Stoicism, do not try to master all the psychological techniques at once but start with one technique and, after you've mastered it, go on to another. After you've become proficient in negative visualization, move on to master the trichotomy of control. And from there, you can move on to start mastering fatality, and so on. Be fatalistic about the past. Dwelling on past failures, mistakes, and disappointments will do you no good but disrupt your tranquility. The past is gone, and this moment is all you've got. So, embrace this moment, make the best of it, and live as happily as you can. Remember, if you go about your days wishing your circumstances were different, you will spend most of your life in a state of bitterness and dissatisfaction.